We are kicking things off with a word from our sponsor. The new streaming service, Film Movement Plus, opens a world of award-winning entertainment, including some of the best films from around the globe. Among the hundreds of titles waiting for you to discover are some of the best films from 2020, including The Wild Goose Lake, Zombie Child, and more. Available on Roku, Apple TV, and Amazon Fire, as well as streaming online and on mobile, Film Movement Plus is priced at $5.99 a month. But as a listener of Watch with Jen, Film Movement Plus will give you a 30-day free trial plus the next three months at 50% off when you use the promo code WATCHWITHJEN, all one word. Sign up today at filmmovementplus.com. Hey, this is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen. Today we have a very special guest, Ben David Grabinski, who is a writer, director, and producer based out of Los Angeles. His 2010 short film, Cost of Living, played at festivals around the world, and then his first screenwriting credit came with Skip Trace, which starred Jackie Chan and Johnny Knoxville and was directed by the great Rennie Harlan. In 2019, He served as the writer, executive producer, and showrunner of the Are You Afraid of the Dark series reboot. And most recently, he made his feature filmmaking debut with Happily, which is now playing in theaters, on digital and demand, or any place you can rent or buy a movie on the internet. It will also be released to DVD in May. So if you're a physical media fan, and you should be, pre-order yours today. Ben David, I want to thank you so much for being here. How are you doing and how have you been handling the ongoing pandemic? I'm right now for the first time ever feeling a little hopeful because I'm going to go see a movie for the first time. Uh, I'm going to go see nobody in a Dolby cinema tonight, which I could not be more excited about. I'm getting my second shot on Saturday and okay. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna wear two masks and sit really far away from everybody else and watch Bob Odenkirk shoot some people. And yes. I, I, and I'm not exaggerating when I'm saying I cannot remember the last time I was this excited about anything. Like this is more exciting than my movie coming out is going to be able to watch movies. <laughs> I really, really missed going to the theater, man. I'm uh, unless I'm in production, I'm the, kind of idiot who will go to a movie like four times a week it's mm-hmm. always happened whether it's new stuff or repertory screenings and um man i've missed it and you know it's weird to distill all of this horribleness um of the last year or so into just not being able to go to a theater but man that was uh you don't know how much you need certain things to stay sane uh or happy until you can't do them (laughs) yeah they feed your soul for sure yeah like the just like that stuff whatever function it had for me it's like a not having that has been a bummer but i've tried to make up for it by watching way too many movies at home and i've had i've I, i host sort of a 
movie marathon that I've done for 50 weeks in a row, which, and, mm -hmm. and you sort of do all these things to kind of give yourself some outlet. Cause otherwise I'm just sitting here with my cat for way too long. Yeah. I don't know if that answer was really helpful or not. <laughs> it was my friend Jed actually went to his first movie last week with the family because he got vaccinated and they did see nobody. And he said it was just a blast. Like the most excited he was to go to the movie, same thing. So I think it's the power of Odenkirk. Everyone wants to see him, you know, beat the shit out of everyone. So. Well, yeah. it's funny, like, you know, Taken was the first time that I can really think of. Well, that that's not true. I think it goes all the way back to like Keanu for me in the nineties. It's like mm -hmm. when Keanu was in speed, it was like, holy shit this guy is like the best movie action star. And then there's Nicolas Cage in the rock. Yeah. And you're like, holy shit, this great weirdo character actor can also do action. And then he over, then the next summer, it's like, he goes from being the straight man in an action movie to being like Con Air and face off. Like he <laughs> from not being an action guy to being like yeah. an action guy almost overnight. But then you had Liam Neeson and taken, which was really fun. And we kind of forget the novelty of it was just like, Neeson wrecking people was pretty dope, <laughs> but, yes. but this this is like that great tradition of um, trying to take someone who already exists as another type of actor and you already mm -hmm. really enjoy and being like, what if they did that? But they could also do action. And it's always fun. I mean, sometimes it doesn't work like when they try to put Chris Klein in rollerball. Um, yeah. but, <laughs> but when you find an actor who like, doesn't usually do action and then they do action effectively. It's like one of the most fun things. Like, you know, when is Daniel day Lewis? Oh, actually, you know, last of the Mohicans is like an action movie. Yeah. I love that film. Oh, it's so good. I yes. watched that twice in lockdown. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, maybe the most romantic moment in movie history is when he's like, yells, I will, I will find you. you. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Then that movie is just so exciting. It's great. It is. For sure. Well, congratulations on Happily, which dares to ask what's normal and abnormal when it comes to still being super hot for your spouse. Oh, 14 years after you walk down the aisle, you take that one question and turn it into a twisty, inventive, high concept ensemble thriller where it seems like every few minutes something crazy and new is revealed. I love the cast too. everyone from Carrie Bechet, Joel McHale and Stephen Root to like Paul Shear, Natalie Zay, Kirby Howell Baptiste, Shannon Woodward, Natalie Morales, Charlene Yee, and more. It's very fitting you selected Robert Altman movies to talk about today because he's a man known for his incredible casts as well. But for now, let's go back to Happily. How did you get the idea for this one and how did everything come about? Um, part of the reason I chose Altman movies today, and we'll get into it later, is I, I rip them off a lot in the movie. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the when you're talking about like where ideas come from, sometimes there's like this really clean thing where it's like, oh, I was in the shower one day and I was thinking, what if a bus, if it didn't, if it went below like 50 miles an hour, it was an explode? Like, you mm -hmm. know, sometimes there's like that simple thing, but for me, um, this one came to get this idea came together in an odd way because I, I had been pretty a little obsessive and fascinated by, you know, parents in movies who really like each other and there's no conflict. And the rest of the conflict is like 
with the other characters. I mean, since like the movie version of it is the parents and poltergeist, which I really love because they're mm-hmm. just great and they get high and like, they're just like fun people. Um, and so many movies are like, Oh, well our relationship is strained or we're running out of money. And there's like these kind of depressive elements to it. And I like that aspirational quality. And then they, you know, you have the parents in the OC and parents in Friday night lights. And I'd always just had this sort of thing, like fascination with that type of character who, the lack of conflict was really engaging. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes I feel like conflict is overrated and I yeah. wanted to make a movie that felt like a 90 minute twilight zone episode. And I wanted to make a movie um, that felt like very romantic, but offbeat because I love stuff like wild at heart or phantom thread or gone girl, mm-hmm. like movies that are romantic, but also twist it, you know, or yeah, just like they're, they kind of go by the beat of their own drum and yeah somehow all of those things fused into uh, one thing when I just kind of had this epiphany of like, well, what if uh, those characters are the leads? And then what if I kind of throw this twilight zone um, thing into it as a way to explore like these existential things of just being an adult of yeah. our marriages and, and friend groups and everything. And it all kind of, fused together into a concept I got really excited about because the reason it exists is because uh, I directed that short in 2010 and I wrote this movie um, called Bloody Hell that uh, was an action adventure movie and Mm -hmm. there's a central sequence of it was like a car chase that you couldn't cut out and because of that it was just an expensive movie. No, I mean, not like expensive. And I spent seven years almost making it and there's actors attached and like people would almost almost do. Yeah. And I reached this point of being like, well, wait, I just spent seven years of my life almost making a movie. And the problem is it costs too much. I need to come up with an idea that I'm equally passionate about that could also be done for not a lot of money. Um, Yeah. And that's where this came from. And I can only make things that like I'm really excited about. So I was trying to write something that to me, like if I only got to make one movie, I'd feel good about that. And and look, I want to make more and I'm planning to, but it's like, I feel like I got happily. I feel like I got away with something and and which is creatively the best, which is that I got to make exactly what I wanted to make and the way that I wanted to make it in a way that I, knew would end up being divisive, but to me felt correct um, for the movie. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, one person will say, hey, I love the ending and it made me cry. And then another person will be like, fuck you, I hate it. (laughs) And um, I love that. Uh, I I love how drastically different people's takes on the movie have been. Like, Mm. one people some people will be like oh i really like the first half but i didn't like the second half someone else will be like the second half was great but the first half was cliche and, <laughs> and and what you realize is that the, when there's no consistency to the takes it's it's kind of refreshing but yeah you did something my, right for sure i mean there was a great there's a great quote and i don't know if it's accurate and i so i'm not going to say the director's name in case i got it wrong but there's a director who made a movie that i really love that bombed when it came out and it got bad reviews and someone asked him uh how did you take that like how how did that make you feel 
And his response was, it's worse when you don't like it. And that got burned in my brain where I was thinking like my only barometer on this movie is do I like it? Am I proud of it? Do I feel like I compromise creatively? And so then I, in that sense, it it helps you feel, um, you can kind of disconnect from the noise because, you know, I spent years making this movie and now Mm -hmm. it just exists. And if anyone loves it, that's really nice and extra. And if anyone like, it, it, it like at this point it's like like if truly if if nobody got it I'd probably be upset for a couple of weeks and then get over it um, mm. but it's been really nice because some cool smart people have had some really interesting things to say about it uh, and I think all takes are valid like no one's opinion about it is wrong unless they think it's an anti-vax metaphor like if oh that, my gosh. Like, yeah, not at all. <laughs> besides that, like if someone's like, I really think that they're Martians or someone's like, I think that this is someone was, someone sent me a thing where they're like connecting some of it to a Shakespeare play that I never even read. And oh, that's um, I didn't tell them they're wrong. I mean, this movie has a thousand influences and most of it is subtext and if I was watching it just as a dude in a theater or a dude at home watching it on VOD, I wouldn't want the director to ever publicly say that what was going on because if it contradicted what I was thinking, it would ruin it. It's like, yeah, there's nothing worse than like a movie being ambiguous and then you coming up with an idea that's really exciting. And then a director being like, Oh, actually it's a metaphor for the creation myth or the movie's really actually about the environment. And you're like, what? No, stop. (laughs) I don't want to know. Like either if you're not going to, if like my feeling is if you're not going to put something in the movie, you have to shut the fuck up about it because otherwise you should have explicitly explained it in the movie. Does that make sense? It really does. When I was talking to my friend, Jordan Harper, he talked about writing an episode of the mentalist. And at the end you find out uh, the killer was two different people, but you don't know which one and they shot it. And somebody asked him, yeah, but really, which one is the killer? And he said, you know, I don't know. It's it's there. It's They're both to blame. It's like, you don't need a definitive answer on everything. And I think we all bring that to movies. We all see something different. And you were just true to yourself. It's like another friend, Kate Gabrielle, who's an artist. And she makes these really cute, like, retro and punny-inspired items And she said she puts out there stuff she personally wants to see in the world. And if other people like it, that's great. And it kind of reminded me exactly of what you said. And I think if you're being true to yourself, we're going to respond to that. And I enjoyed the hell out of Happily. I thought it was great. So, And it'd be totally cool if you didn't, but it's great that you do. You know, I, 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 I think there is sort of a weird thing about the movie is that sometimes and, and saying that it's artful sounds so stupid and pretentious, but most of the time movies that kind of deal with ambiguity in this way and are sort of very subtext driven, aren't like super comedic. So so there is an element of the movie that even people who really like uh, weirder or stranger movies may not be able to wrap their head around because kind of the fusion of a very darkly comedic movie that I think, you know, 
like 80% of it is supposed to be funny. Yeah. <laughs> but when you mix that with that kind of approach, it's not like, that's not like a common dish served at a restaurant. You not know? at all. No. <laughs> so it's like, um, it's funny because I wrote it in 2016 and I finished it and I was like really happy with it. And I also instantly knew that like, if I made it, as I said before, <laughs> some people are pretty mad at me. I, uh, one of my favorite things about the process and I'm sorry uh, to this person, there's no way they're listening to it. <laughs> a lot of actors and I met with one actress who, um, when we sat down, she said, uh, I've been waiting two weeks for this meeting. I'm so excited. And at first I was flattered because I'm thinking yeah. wow, she must like really like the script. And then she said, okay, so who, who, wait, I'm assuming people who've listened to this have seen the movie. If you yeah. haven't skip ahead two minutes. Okay. Okay. I'm assuming people skipped ahead two minutes. Uh, yes. Okay. So uh, she's like, who's Goodman? Uh, what was in the syringes? Are they pod people? Uh, <laughs> the house. So what is this? And, and I was like, wait, wait, hold up. And she's like, okay, I'll ask you one at a time. And I said, uh, well, I yeah. actually can't tell you any of that. And she got really mad at me. Oh, wow. She's like, I just drove like an hour during rush hour to talk to you about the script. And you're like, not going to tell me anything. And I, and I, like, she took it like personally, but on the other hand, you know, Steven Root, who plays Goodman, um, when, when we first sat down and talked for like an hour at the end of it, he said, do you have any questions for me? And I said, I'm just really glad you didn't ask me who Goodman is. And he yeah. looked at me and said, why the fuck would I ask you that? And Ooh, that's a good actor right there. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, if you've ever seen Steven Root in anything, oh, you know, God. Good actor, yeah. but, when you, but after working with him, you're like, this guy's a really good actor. Because <laughs> he can just bring so much on his own uh, to the table. Like he's a just, he really can read between the lines on a script. And it's just, it's like a joy. You barely have to give him like any direction. The only thing with a guy like that is, if you want to try something new. Um, mm -hmm. But otherwise it's like, he just came in and like on the, on like we were, we, we ran through the scene once um, his, for his big scene before we uh, were shooting, just like everyone was sitting there and I was blocking it. And I wish I was shooting it because it was like, he immediately was just like as good as he is in the movie, just wow. um, half running through. So it was like, okay, well, I hope he can be as good uh, after that. <laughs> yeah that's amazing and he puts so much into just his voice because that pays off in the second half of the movie with just hearing the voice and just his presence when we see him I mean yeah he's an incredible actor so I was really glad to see all of these people in the movie well I've only had a handful of filmmakers on the podcast so far so if you're out there you're listening say yes no I'm just kidding but I've had a lot of writers on and I know my listeners are interested in the craft as well so what is your writing process like and what was the biggest thing you wish more screenwriters knew about directing or and directors about scriptwriters what do you wish they knew about that process that you've learned in your career so far? Um, I don't have a super specific writing process. I mean, okay. there's, there's two different kinds of writing. There's like, I just finished recently a, uh, a spec script that I wrote that I'm hoping to be my next thing I'm directing. And that process is um, 
playing video games for months while thinking about it and not (laughs) writing. And then at the end of it, just writing it really quickly, you know, like for me, the process, if I'm writing something that's not an assignment, I'm not being paid to write. A lot of it is like useful procrastination because Mm -hmm. what happens is if I sit down at a blank page and don't know what's going to happen, it can feel it can feel really discouraging. So my approach is sort of to to just keep brainstorming and brainstorming until you can see enough of the movie in your head that when you get down, you know that like, it's going to be okay. Like my feeling, it's like I couldn't write happily until I knew some of the key elements of like the last 10 minutes of the movie. And once I knew those, I wrote the movie in like six days, but wow. um, But if you're writing something like for hire, Mm-hmm. it's like an actual job because someone will say, Hey, we need this um, 12 weeks from now. And we also need an outline, which I hate doing. Yeah. Um, and what happens with something like that is it needs to be more regimented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have uh, ADHD. Um, and what I've realized from that is like, it's a lot of it is like, for me, what helps overcome that is that if I'm writing something that is, that is exciting to me, like I'm very bad. I can't write something unless like the idea of the movie is so engaging to me that I'm like, I got to do this because Mm -hmm. if I didn't have that, I'd have to, you know, work retail or something like that, because I can only do this and I can only do that this if it's something I'm really passionate about. And I've been fortunate in that um, a lot of the things that I'm passionate about, people also want to make like, you know, as weird as happily is I do love, I mean, I got comic books every Wednesday as a kid, as I've said multiple times, I play video games a bunch. And like, it's like, are you afraid of the dark meant so much to me as a kid that it's, it was really hard work to write it, but it was also like, I felt lucky to do it every day. So that, so that would get me to sit in front of a thing and type for 12 hours straight or whatever. Um, but in terms of what I wish writers knew or screenwriters, that is a very, uh, clear thing to me, which is that until you've done production, um, there's things that you can write that you don't understand how difficult they are. <laughs> okay. Uh, to shoot. Yeah. And it's, or just, they're just, it's just things as simple as like, well, do you really need to have 20 locations? Like, can you use the same place a few times or do you really need 10 characters in the scene when it could be eight? Do you really need yeah. extras here? But then on the, on the flip side of it is like, those things are also what makes some movies great and what's makes movies have production value. So you have to come up with your own kind of internal barometer of it where it's like, okay, yeah, this scene needs to have 50 extras, but maybe Mm -hmm. this other scene that's at night can take place during the day. Like you have to be able to understand that there's a line between you have to figure out where you can compromise and where you can't. And you have to compromise a lot. So you have to figure out early which things are like really important and which things aren't, um, you know, so, cause a lot of it, 
it's like making a movie or a TV show is half of it is like just scheduling and planning um, in a way that is just so crazy simple. And it's the same on every project, you know, like the, I mean, the hardest thing is when you do something that needs to be done and then find out that it's nearly impossible. And the the best example I can give is, so are you afraid of the dark? We shot in Vancouver and I don't know who chose to shoot in Vancouver in June, but the sun goes down at 10 PM there and kids can't shoot past midnight and it's called, are you afraid of the dark? So a lot (laughs) of scenes are going to take place in the dark at night. Um, So that becomes just this challenge of, okay, this is all night scenes and it stars primarily kids. And then that that's a nightmare, but the best experiences are like problem solving is so much of it. And the thing difference between screenwriting and any other kind of writing is it's, it's a hundred percent creative, but it's also a hundred percent like logistics. So Mm. You have to find some way for your brain to be balancing both of those things. Otherwise, I think a lot of the things that I wrote originally in my career were just prohibitively expensive in a way that it's hard to understand until you've actually made things. Um, mm. I can see that. that. Yeah. That make sense? <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Yes. And how about uh, directors? What do you wish they knew more about the writing process? Anything? Um, I wish sometimes that they knew, and I, and you know, you can't get into another writer's head, but for me, like if I'm giving someone a scene, it's like the 20th version of a scene. And I've really thought about it. And I've thought <laughs> about why it's there and why someone needs to say a thing. And, uh, Obviously, there's going to be notes and everything's going to change, especially if you're not directing your own script. But mm-hmm. sometimes people are so focused on the micro thing that they're not understanding a macro function. So if you have a scene and someone will be like, well, I don't like this joke or I don't like this moment. And, and you kind of wish sometimes they'd realize, well, yeah, this joke that's on page 30 is actually an emotional setup for mm-hmm. a dramatic thing that's going to happen on page 90. And some directors are really good at keeping all that in their head and like the connective tissue. And some people are just so focused on that on like moments it's like, or like shots. And what happens is if you get, if you, if you lose the big picture view of a movie, you end up with something that is like maybe really well executed, but incoherent, you know, mm-hmm. and devoid of like the human elements, maybe a little bit. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so it's like sort of it's a weird thing because some people though are really great at that stuff, and some people because yeah. like the thing about being a director is it's a it's it's a different everyone has a different process, and some people have like strengths and then weaknesses, and some people are all strengths probably, but maybe some people are really good at actors but not good at story. Maybe some people are really good at visuals, but really bad at structure. There's um, one of the most important thing for a director, I think, is to know what you don't know. Um, ah, yes. And, and figuring out how to separate your ego from that. Because too, I think too many people internalize that concept as 
oh, well, I don't want people to think I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> You're not going to know how to do everything. No. I mean, like the thing with me, it's like the, like there's this lighting in Happily that I really love, which is um, where like any place where there's a pool, there's like this ripple lighting effect that's like in a lot of, you know, like Ridley Scott movies and stuff. And it's as simple as, I'm not a cinematographer, but I know what I think looks good. And I could like, I text my DP and I'm like, what is that thing in all the Ridley Scott movies where like they have this cool lighting on the wall. And I was like watching Matchstick Men, I think, because every time. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, I think it's really underrated. And he's like, oh, well, they're shining a light into a pool and then they ripple the water right before they say action. And then what happens is it creates this cool lighting effect behind the actors. And I was like, great, can we do that? And then it ends up being in a bunch of the movie. And it's like, I'm not pretending to know what the fuck that is. No. <laughs> but there's other things, though, that I really do know. Like, I'm, I know a lot about lenses, but I, 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 I can't, I don't know anything about lighting. I just know what I think looks good. And, you know, mm -hmm. you can say... You're like, well, I like that things that look moody and I really like things that feel like this. And then you can give examples and be like, so what is this? And, and really, I think it's because it's, it's interesting. Like, I think you sort of worry that like being in charge requires this um, projection of, you know, nonstop 24 seven genius. And mm -hmm that's not really it. And in the case of this movie, all the actors trusted me, even though I hadn't made a movie because they could tell how much I cared and that I was, you know, I also had surrounded myself with very talented people who I could always say something like, look, I don't know what this means, but can we do this, this, and this and make it feel like this? And they'll go, Oh yeah. You know, you don't always even have to know the technical terms of it. And, but in my case, it's sort of like you find out you can only find out what you don't know by doing it. And that mm -hmm. I find exciting. Um, you know, there's stuff that like we tried in the movie where I'd say, I don't think that can work. And, and then my uh, gaffer would say, I think I know how to actually do that. And I'd say, fine. And then we'd shoot it and it was great. And I'd say, how the fuck do we pull that off? It's like there's scenes <laughs> that we shot at night. Um, that take place during the day and the house is like all glass. So it's like, I was like, there's no way we can fake sunlight enough to make it indistinguishable from the other shots. And I was wrong, you know, uh, in a, in a great way. <laughs> yeah. It's but, such a beautiful film, like very vibrant and alive. So. Well, it's funny. Yeah. That it's just really, it's, it's such a weird mix of things because it, it, it's partially Altman and the way that like he'd cover uh, large scenes with actors, like doing a bunch of dolly and zoom stuff. It's a partially mm -hmm. Alma. It's partially John Carpenter. It's a lot of Soderbergh. It's there's Fincher stuff. And for me, I think what happens is like, sometimes like the sum total of your influences uh, adds up to kind of something that's unique. Mm -hmm. um, the problem I think sometimes is when you're only ripping off one thing, like you need to rip off a lot of things because otherwise <laughs> it's just going to be, uh, derivative of one guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, although I think if there's anyone that you should rip off with a movie, with a bunch of people is like Altman because yep. not, not enough people are ripping them off right now. So I think if someone just made a pure <laughs> Gosford park style movie where the cameras never stops moving is always zooming in and zooming out and dollying. I wouldn't complain as a viewer. And I would, nope. it, it, it's funny 
you know, it's like, like when people complain about De Palma doing Hitchcock, my feeling sometimes is why aren't more people doing Hitchcock? Cause Hitchcock's fucking great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like sometimes it's like, yeah, I wish it's like, I wish there was like a lot, someone out there like really ripping off Argento, you know, like the, you know, sometimes like that's enough for me, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, we're not, we're so off book here. Uh, yeah everybody watch more movies before you make one is the point basically well i learned how to write from watching movies and i learned how to direct from watching movies there you Uh, go and that but that doesn't mean that that's necessarily like uh, the only way yeah (laughs) yeah but for me that that was it Perfect. Well, for your topic today, as mentioned, you chose to zero in on Robert Altman, mostly his films in the 70s with one dip into 1969 that we added on later. For those listening, the movies we'll be discussing more specifically in a minute are that cold day in the park, images and three women films that comprise a loose thematic trilogy of sorts regarding three psychological portraits of women that involve potential personality disorders and mental illness. Your selections provide a really eclectic, fascinating mix. I'm so glad you selected these titles. What is it about these movies, this period in Altman's career or life or the filmmaker in general that you respond to the most? As just a fan or as an exercise, watching all three of those, they are, Mm -hmm. it's a really interesting, uh, series of movies from a thematic and stylistic standpoint. Um, you, the, the real reason I pick, pick these up first, there's like multiple things. The first thing is that stylistically I've, I like as an adult grown, I just really, really, really adore um, his approach uh, and, and kind of understand it. When I was younger, his movies felt chaotic and unfocused like in my early twenties, mm-hmm. I would watch some of them. Some of his movies like are in my top 10 or 15 of all time that when I first watched, I just didn't get like, I remember mm-hmm. watching Gosford park and being bored with it when I was maybe like 18 or 19. And then now I could watch that movie twice a year, the rest of my life and never get bored of it. It's just, I love that movie so much. There's a, th- there's a, a thing about his movies to me, which is he seems enamored with behavior, with performances, yes. with the way that humans interact with each other in a way that you can feel and also just sort of, it's like you kind of vicariously feel that as you're watching the movie. There's this almost, you can understand why actors loved him and why mm-hmm. he was such a like it feels like he's just like the best party host ever when you're watching a lot of those. yeah exactly you just want to be there but the interesting thing about these three movies is his movies that are like my favorite are just jam-packed with people and we have three movies that are very sparse in terms of how much they're populated by characters or actors there's a like um and it's it was a really interesting experience to watch all three of these movies because they they work in the same kind of genre space, but they feel more intimate than a lot of his movies. A lot of his movies, you feel like you're in a crowd and you're kind of picking up on some people and 
kind of floating through things and you can kind of put your attention wherever you want to, but these movies are, you're kind of trapped with these characters. Like you're trapped mm-hmm. in their headspace, you're trapped with them emotionally. And the, my, my main takeaway from these is I really wish he made more kind of all out horror movies or thrillers because the moments in these yeah. movies that really lean into it are mm-hmm. incredibly effective. They um, are. You know, I, I think we could kind of talk about these movies one at a time, but we'll also probably jump around because they have kind of a lot of overlapping elements. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like we should probably start with, um, is it that cold day in the park or the, or the cold day in the park? Oh yeah. I'm actually, I've got a thing I wrote about all of them and I was going to talk about them, introduce them as a group and then kind of go in. All right. Go ahead. Great host work. Oh, you're, you're too nice. Well, although I usually go through the films one by one, I'm thinking that this particular set of movies might be best discussed and evaluated as a group. Two of the films in Altman's experimental loose trilogy were new to you and two were new to me. They were a different two that I thought was interesting. And so I thought this would be a really good place to start just talking about them as a group. Opening with the first chronological work, we have the one film that neither one of us had ever seen before, 1969's That Cold Day in the Park, where Sandy Dennis plays a rich, supremely sheltered British Columbia virgin who gives a much younger man she sees in the park a place to stay, and then eventually she doesn't want him to leave. After that, in Altman's study of female mental illness and loneliness, we have the very daring British 1971 horror movie Images, where Susanna York plays a children's author who goes to stay in the country and begins seeing and hearing men who aren't really there, including past lovers, and she fears she might just be losing her mind. Returning to the same themes, six years later, Altman made the incredibly ambitious avant-garde tale Three Women, with shifting and merging personalities that seem to go from one woman to the next in the form of Shelley Duvall, Sissy Spacek, and Janice Rule. Obviously, I'm not going to go into tons of detail here, and I should warn that the conversation that follows might include some spoilers, But this was one completely thrilling and wild trio of films to see in such quick succession to the point that I think watching them like this made me see things I might have missed or wouldn't have appreciated otherwise. I like them all. I'd always been blown away by three women. But this time I was really enamored with the new one or one of the new ones for me, that cold day in the park as well. Images is probably the most technically audacious of the films. Susanna York was great, but I didn't like it quite as much as the rest. So how about you? What are your thoughts on the three? It's interesting because Images is my favorite by far. Okay. Um, But I've also now seen it several times. Um, Three women was the, the other two were both new to me and I've, and I've seen so many Altman movies. I mean, like, I've seen, like, The Gingerbread Man a couple times. I know. But, I have that somewhere, actually. So we're kind of in the same boat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I've been meaning to watch Three Women for a long time. And 
and one of the dumb reasons why I picked these movies was like, oh, I need to watch Three Women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was a great excuse to do it. Exactly. Um, but it ended up being really interesting. And I would say, um, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen these movies, I might suggest taking the time to watch them and then coming back to this because I really want to talk about the ending of all three of them uh, okay, at some sure. point. But, um, you know, that cold day in the park is really interesting to me because I think that the last 30 minutes of it is kind of astonishing. And then mm-hmm. the stuff before it feels a little aimless. And I'm not like, a, I'm not like against slow burn uh, thrillers or horror movies. Like a lot of my favorite movies have spent like the first 90% of it don't even feel like a genre thing. And then suddenly the last 10 minutes are insane. Yeah. But for me, the, the, like it, if I felt like it didn't really click for me until I realized he wasn't mute. Um, because that I, was an interesting twist. Yes. Yeah. The, the, the thing for me, it's like the opening was really strong where she's having these people over and she keeps looking at the window and seeing this guy. And it's like one of those great things that Allman does, which is like, once you get into someone's POV, you're like in her headspace and you are like, you understand that she's like drawn to this guy, but the section of the movie where he's there and kind of mute, it was hard for me to connect to emotionally because we don't know exactly what she's thinking and we have no clue what this guy is even thinking or how he's trying to portray himself. And, Mm -hmm. but once you see the contrast of his home life and how, and realize he can talk and realize what he's doing, I started to get like way more into it. But once it kind of turns, it is such a good fucking movie. I mean, it really is. Yes. The entire, once you realize it's like once he fucks her over, it is like when she like, she just says all his vulnerable stuff to him and then he's not even in the bed. I that was, was devastating. Oh I my goodness. so bad for her. And I'm yeah. like, you prick. Like you're just totally taking advantage of her. And like, what is she getting out of this? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we have the benefit of hindsight and the fact that, okay, she's clearly a little unhinged. But the thing I love about the movie is it's, it's a revenge I kind of understand, you know, like I yeah. understand what she's doing. And I kind of, I just wish that like, if that happened 30 minutes into the movie and we got a whole hour of like him trapped in there, like her going around town trying to like <laughs> find a prostitute for him. Like that stuff is so good. And the yeah. ending is a fucking knockout. Like the, and the way it goes over the end credits, just that final thing of her, just it's so close on them. And she just keeps asking him to, to make love to her. I think that's, what I she know. Yes. you know, the last like couple minutes of it, when I'm watching it, I just keep thinking, man, I just wish I had a movie that was like from beginning to end to like Altman doing like a Hitchcock level obsession thriller kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, because it's so great watching like master directors explore genre. Um, yeah. And most of his movies are, he uses genre just sort of as an excuse, like the player is the best example where it's sort of like, he doesn't even give a shit about the mystery. Like the mystery. No, it's, it's just 
there so you can do all the other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's like I grew to love this movie, but I found it kind of tedious in the middle in a way that um, I may like I, I feel like an asshole even saying, but I, I just sort of feel like I just because like the my feeling about it is it's like an hour and 10 minutes into the movie when she locks him or when she sort of has her character turn. And when that happened, I'm like, man, I wish I could just spend more time with this. I wish we got to this earlier. Like I would mm-hmm. love to watch like a two hour movie where it's like, as I said, like the 30 minute marquee screws her over, not realizing what's going to happen. And then you just get to live in that. Um, anyway, what do yeah. you think? I really loved it. The one aspect that I kind of wanted to know more about, because, I mean, you see some of the influences in all three of these movies, like Psycho, Persona, Repulsion, Gaslight, just a bunch of the paranoid movies of the past that he seems to be playing with. But what's interesting about this one, and I wish they'd gone deeper into it, was the young man I wanted to know more about because he has this really twisted relationship with his sister that's almost incestuous. His sister is always coming on to him or flirting with him and trying to, at first you think she's teasing him or trying to make him uncomfortable, but then you realize, no, there's something here. So he had some sexual hangups just like she did. And so I was thinking it'd be interesting to kind of get into his head a little bit more and spend more time and then have them combat a little bit instead of making her, you know, seem far more, I mean, she's psycho, but, you know, like just the only person who's really fucked up. And I thought that was an interesting twist as well. Yeah, Sandy like, Dennis it, is incredible. Yeah. And I've just watched um, Virginia Woolf and uh, you can't find two different performances Yes. So much so that I just had this moment of panic. I'm like, wait, that is the same actress in both movies, right? (laughs) Because that is so like her range as an actor is incredible. Like they, they could not be more different. Um, But I was thinking the exact same thing, which is everything that I love about the movie. I wish they just had more of like, I wish there's more stuff to figure out what's going on with the sister Mm-hmm. If if the turn happened earlier, I would love an entire movie exploring these two people who are fucked up in different ways. Yeah, um, because it like when it when it ends, I'm just sort of like, ugh, like I like I either wanted to be a three hour movie where it just had a lot more, or to get into that stuff earlier because mm-hmm. it, it would be really interesting to explore the differences between the people and and in what ways they're damaged that compare and contrast. You know? Yeah. Um, which is basically exactly what you just said about it. Uh, but yeah, yeah it's but like- we're in sync on that. I read an interesting um, summation of this movie where somebody said it was an anti-genre exploration of madness. And I thought that was perfect for this time period with Altman because he was always interested in looking at things and breaking up genre so this was the same period with, you know, the anti-Western, which is something he even called McCabe and Mrs. Miller, the anti-PI film of The Long Goodbye. So he's constantly breaking down these genre movies or exactly like what you said with the player, like the mystery is beside the point. So he's using these elements, but using them to explore 
some of his famous obsessions. And I love how great women are in all of his films. Like you almost think the women are better than the men in a lot of the Altman movies. And he's fascinated by them. I love that. Yeah, he, it's funny, like women have a really hard time in these three movies in different ways, but not in a way that I think is necessarily exploitative, except for when it's supposed to be. Yeah. Again, product of its time, et cetera. I'm also a dude talking about that, but I do think these are, movies that just create like a tremendous opportunity for an actor to perform and to really do everything you could do in a movie from being confident to not to scared to whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, that's kind of like the appeal of what I liked about like the, there's a lot of this stuff that I keep thinking about my movie. Um, because when I was thinking of my movie, I was really watching a lot of Altman, but I watched images a lot when I was prepping this movie. Um, but it, it, I really like movies where a character just has like a huge fucking journey of like, you, you can never really <laughs> get your finger on them. No. And all three of these movies have female leads who in some ways are huge in some ways, small where every time you feel like you understand them, the ground shifts beneath your feet, you know, yeah. like yeah, it changes. And that's like the real, it's, it's really interesting how they all work in that way. Um, and we can get to them when we discuss all of them, but it's like images is the biggest one of just you're in her head and she also doesn't understand herself. So that one is like magnified times a thousand, but then three women, you have two women in that movie who every time you think you kind of figured them out, you haven't. And then yeah, it, it keeps shifting. Yeah. yeah. Um, but this is also interesting too, just because it's earlier in, in Altman's career as like a feature director and you can see him developing some of his style. There's mm-hmm. like a really odd moment when it suddenly becomes handheld when like he's getting in the bath that doesn't match the rest of the filmmaking. And it's one of those things that like, I really would love to know the motivation behind that choice where mm-hmm. it, it suddenly just it, it, there's like this, it's like a really frantic camera work where it's like kind of sort of moving really quickly as he's like climbs into the bathtub and then none of the rest of the movie has that. And maybe there was no motivation behind it. Maybe just one day he's like, Hey, let's try that. But it, it was a really <laughs> interesting choice that, and he doesn't have that like a stylistic thing like that often. Like he usually has um, a very consistent kind of measured, like, slow camera moves and zooms um but this was shot by kovacs okay it was they're all beautiful films but that's interesting okay images is the best looking because it's filmos um yes (laughs) yeah his movies with filmos are so good that when you watch ones that weren't shot by him it's always like uh dude like go back yeah so it's such a bummer because like, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I think the story is that Altman got sick of everyone attributing his visual style to Vilmos. So he decided oh. to work with other people. Yeah. And it's like a media, I think like Thieves Like Us was the one when he first switched. And when you watch that, I love that movie. I own it on Blu-ray, but it doesn't hold a candle stylistically to the other ones. But mm-hmm. then later he'd like end up finding some really great people. Yes. Uh, 
but his Vilmos movies are just so beautiful. Astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. And just the fusion of like Altman's approach and sensibility and Vilmos's like visual, like his own kind of approach and style. It just, it feels like two, two guys just working in sync so well. Because um, mm-hmm. like Long Goodbye and McCabe are two of my favorite movies ever in terms of cinematography. I I think I prefer Long Goodbye, but in terms of the look, McCabe and Mrs. Miller is so beautiful. And Yeah, it is. And, but, it's, but it's not just that it's beautiful. It's like the way that he's shooting the actors and shooting the performances, it really feels like you're at the card table with these people or, or that you're walking through this Western town. Yeah. Or in the snow. Yeah. Yeah. It just, you feel like you're with, a, with them and you're just kind of part of this group. It's like a weird psychological effect. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very poetic. Their collaboration and then stopping kind of reminds me a little bit of Paul Thomas Anderson splitting with uh, Robert Elswit, where you're like, no, but yeah, but exactly. uh, Phantom Thread is fucking beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's funny when they talk to Elswit and he's like, well, I would have done some things differently. That interview, There's a lot of smoke. I yes. love so much. I'm like, come on, dude. Come on, it's, you guys. Yeah. I'm like, we, we know what's going on here. You guys. Yes. Are, uh, Just get in a room and make up. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that it's going to be like uh, Zoolander and Hansel. Uh, where like <laughs> why are you getting so messed up towards me and then they become best friends because they're like that's a really good team um, yeah that interview in the book is so funny when he's <laughs> you're like it feels like I'm in a th- I'm in someone's therapy session yes someone's couples therapy I, I can't believe how candid he was <laughs> yeah <laughs> about it. people don't but, give interviews like that much anymore no I mean you can't you know yeah that's, I know you can't give the general rules, you don't give interviews like that until you're not making movies anymore. Like you yep. wait until you're like 70 and you're like, I guess I'm not going to direct anymore. This is what happened. <laughs> yeah. Then you become Angelica Houston going like, he was an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Legendary. Well, we should probably dive into images. I'll I let you take it away because that's your, your favorite. Okay. So images is so goddamn good. I mean, I think one of the greatest one of my favorite movie types or I don't know if it's a genre or whatever is a movie where someone is slowly going insane and they don't know if they can trust reality and you are with them in terms of how they're perceiving things. So, mm-hmm. you know, obviously Polanski got into that. You got this. Um, there's so many examples of it. This is one of my favorite, my favorite ever though is like perfect blue. Um, the anime because there's there's something about when you're animated you can manufacture the reality that the person's perceiving in a way that's kind of impossible with live action because you Mm -hmm. can't differentiate between what's real and what's not because it's all from the same stylistic manufactured thing but images is just it there is nothing there's something so scary about Mm -hmm feeling like you're losing your mind and then being with her and the way that the movie conveys that is like, this movie is a hundred percent mood. It's not a narrative movie. It's not. No, a plot it isn't. Movie. Yeah. And the first time I watched it, I do think I wasn't really connecting too much to it, but stylistically I was very impressed by it. But now when I watch it, it's just like you're trapped with her as she 
is trying to seem sane and then sort of gives up. <laughs> There's, yeah. It, it, it's a very interesting character journey in like, there's something it, I just find it so engaging now and so tragic. And so there's just such a great mood to it. Like every time, like, you know, she sees something that you think is real, but then realize can't be, but then is it yes. it's so effective? Like, I mean, the, the, one of the first things I just want to get into is like the music and the sound design is so fucking good and so effective. Um, it, so you're like so quickly in this space of like her narration and then these mm -hmm. um, things that are more sound than music. Uh, yeah. Or the, like the, what is the thing hanging off of her window? It's not like a wind chime that's hanging off the rear view mirror in her car. It's it a, a, oh, I don't know what you call that, but not a sun that, catcher, it, but a, no. But yeah, and it has this sort of like jingling musical yes. call to it that they keep bringing in is this like repetition. Um, and the whole movie just has this very, it's not, it's like not as extreme as like in Spring Breakers where they just keep like repeating dialogue and you're doing these kind of things. But it does have that where the movie feels like it's kind of keeps looping yeah. sounds and looping music and looping like the same kind of camera setups where it does feel like you're with her when she's in this just cycle of fear and denial about mm -hmm. what's going on with her. And there's something so engaging about watching a movie where someone is a danger to other people, but isn't really aware of it. Like it, it's so scary that I'm like worry about her with the child that's not there. yeah like yeah when they come in after she fired the gun i just want to be like everyone get the fuck out yes <laughs> like, oh my god it's like no one knows they're in a horror movie including the person who is mm -hmm. creating the horror of the movie um mm -hmm. it's yeah i just i think in terms of it, it is like there's things that are really really hard to do as a filmmaker and this movie does so many of them perfectly. Like just the way that like, it feels like everyone around her is almost like a figment of her imagination. And you can have someone in a scene be real, but also you're like, wait, is this happening? There's, there's a heightened level of the performances of the men around her where a lot of their interactions you could feel like are just made up in her head. You know, okay. like there's a little bit, they're kind of heightened and they're, they almost feel like they are just like, you know, when you have a movie and someone has like an imaginary friend, there is a way of watching this movie where it feels like everyone around her is that, you know, yeah. but, and, and I, I just, I can't really think of a movie that has done that with so many characters and all building to, again, all three of these movies have knockout endings for me, but in completely different ways. Um, this was my favorite of the endings. For oh, sure. this, the, the ending is like that the, the body and then her screaming and then the, and doing the shower thing. And the, every time she saw herself, it was so great. And, and there's something so scary about um, someone thinking that they're just trying to physically remove. Uh, it's like when Trauma. she's getting rid of herself, mm -hmm. it's like a metaphor for her trying to just 
tougher way through her mental illness. But the fact that she thinks that this is imaginary and she's hurting other people is so, it's just sad and scary. But like, mm-hmm. like her walking into the living room with the dog and being all chipper, but there's a dead body there that she's not even yeah. noticing. Oh. It's so haunting. It really is. To me, it's, I love unreliable narrator films, but this is like oh, yeah. the ultimate of the unreliable narrator. And I love that it's trying to solve a puzzle in pictures. I mean, there's actually a puzzle there, that thing that happens in the end when you see the unicorn and the little girl in the house. And it's just a perfect ending that just like that cold day in the park goes into the credit sequence. I thought that the one of the best final moments of his entire filmography is definitely in images. I was also struck by you mentioned the repetitious angle of this movie I thought it was a little too repetitious but I think maybe just like you said the first time you watched it you were kind of more caught up in the technical side I think that's where I'm at I'm sure when I watch it again in the future kind of like three women I remember liking it but my feelings for it got stronger with each viewing I think this is probably that kind of film as well yeah images is a movie that kind of teaches you how to watch it so yeah. that you're oriented to it and you understand what you're getting into, you can enjoy the experience more. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, that's like one of the biggest things of like my journey of being a big movie fan is realizing that a lot of my favorite movies, I didn't really like that much on first viewing and making peace with that. Like it, but that requires you to be the kind of maniac who will rewatch something you didn't really like. <laughs> but in my experience, that's been some of the most rewarding um, times I've had watching movies is watching something where I was like, was I wrong or, or, or is this? Yeah, that's happened to me a few times. Yeah. Well, like- the biggest example ever is like, I, it took me four viewings of Inherent Vice to love it, which sounds nuts that's been more extreme than any movie ever like every other example it's been second viewing i loved a movie that i didn't like mm-hmm. but i saw inherent vice and then i watch it again and i'm like i don't get this so then i saw it high and i still didn't get it <laughs> and, and then i watch it again at home and i was like eh. so then i put it aside for years yeah and then i watched it a couple months ago and it every moment felt perfect somehow. And then I watched mm-hmm. it again the next day. And I'm like, this is like one of my favorite movies. And it makes me feel insane to even say that. But some movies just have such a specific wavelength that you can sort of feel like you're outside of it for a while. Yes. And then once you kind of key in, you, it, there's no turning back. It's like you now under, you're now in sync with like the mm-hmm. rhythm of the movie. And then it, everything kind of clicks. Um, and it's fascinating that a movie can bore me and then later be so engrossing. It's, it's like, it's, it's, it's one of the things that just makes me never get tired of movies in general is that no. uh, there's your, a movie can feel different at a certain time in your life. A movie can be feel different. The more you watch it, a movie can feel different based on your life experiences or like in comparing and contrast to another movie. Like, yes. I probably wouldn't enjoy that cold day in the park as much if I wasn't also watching it in context of these other movies, because on its own, I agree. It I feels think... a little broken to me, mm-hmm. but in context of the other movies, I was, it was just fascinating, you know? 
Yeah, I started with that cold day in the park and I was really taken in by it. But I thought if I had watched images first alone, I probably just would have been like, yeah, I mean, it's impressive visually, but not for me. But I think, yeah, in conjunction with the other films, it just was more powerful this way. Another thing that I was relating to in this movie is the fact that she's an author and a writer and lives in her head because we all live in our heads. And I remember reading this um, article in, I think it was Psychology Today years ago, talking about how writers kind of flirt with insanity a little bit because we are making up stories and we're constantly going into our own minds. And I thought this movie captured that well. And I felt like the Susanna York character was a bit autobiographical a little for Altman. I think he responds to women as maternal and nurturing and creative. And so I thought these were three films that I think let him explore that side of himself that he doesn't really touch on in some of his other movies. Yeah, they're very different from really the rest of his filmography. Yeah in a way that's fascinating. But again, it's like, it's so interesting to me that when he leans into the genre stuff or the thriller stuff or the horror stuff, it's almost like he's saying, I could do this as good as any of you guys, but I'm not going to. Yeah. But look, he can do it. Yep. Because if, if he made just, he could have made a movie like The Shining that is just a full-blown horror and it probably would be fucking amazing because mm -hmm. if you made an entire movie like the moments in these things, um, it would just be really great. But it's, but I just don't think he gives a shit about that stuff. No, like, Altman doesn't feel like a guy who watches the same kind of horror movies that like I watch. He probably feel, felt like above them. I'm probably projecting a lot here, but <laughs> uh, but it is interesting because I, I always feel like I wish every great director made one horror movie because horror to me, the reason I love horror is that it's so it's less narrative based and you can be more abstract than you can in any other genre. And that provides directors who have like a real talent to lean into the th like the things that like they're great at. It's like when I watch the opening like 10 minutes of there'll be blood, I just think, Oh man, PT would make the best horror movie ever made. Or when you watch like yeah, that movie, opening like, prologue. Oh my god, perfect. Sorry. <laughs> well, it's like I just wish I wish every great director made one horror movie. That's my dumb wish. Is like <laughs> is like there's all these guys where it's like I'd love to see I'd love to see an Albert Brooks horror movie. You know, I'd love to see a Wes Anderson horror movie. I'd love mm -hmm. like there's so many people who you like it. You want to see what they bring with their perspective to that because especially movies are designed to be like a visceral experience. Um, Cause it's like, you know, like that's the thing about why the shining has such staying power is it's like watching like an artful director who really understands craft, making something that is mostly atmosphere and mood is really fucking effective. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But we're probably going to have to move into our last movie, which is the least thriller E and the least uh, horror E of the three, but is the most abstract <laughs> so. for sure yes three women exactly you want to take it away uh you know i i've three women i've only seen it once so it feels weird for me to take it away but i think it might also be interesting i guess just because i'm talking about how it made me feel which is that um 
I had started it once years ago, like late at night, and I'd watch like five minutes of it, and I was like, the the pace and the mood of this is wrong for like my energy level right now. So I'm gonna get into this later. Yeah, I got back into it, and one of the interesting things was I had misunderstood what was going on. Like when I watched like five minutes of it, in my head I was like, okay, this is a movie about a cool, assertive person and someone who's like obsessed with her yes and, and then and so when i was so i'd been thinking the movie was that so then when i watch it this time i'm going into it feeling that way and then when i started to gradually realize that like when she's talking and no one's listening to her oh it just breaks your heart yes it's, it's two things at once one it breaks my heart and two it's fascinating to be that disconnected from reality as a coping mechanism for your loneliness like yeah she is willfully ignoring this, like the signals from people around her that are showing that they find her annoying or don't want her around Mm -hmm. because like, how else could you, I don't think it's like, and look, the, the, the phrasing of this stuff is always weird. So if I say something offensive, I'm very sorry, but it's not like it's saying she's like on the spectrum or something. I don't think the movie is like necessarily like she's not unable to read cues. I read the movie as she's kind of there's a huge level denial to her existence because she feels yep. alone you know yes i agree uh, with you and and to have her operating in that headspace while she has this person around her who is this wild card personality who clearly is obsessive but you can't tell how and if it's in a harmful way at first mm-hmm. and then the way that the movie turns after she tries to kill herself or when she comes back, she's suddenly almost like a villain. The way yes. that like the dynamics change, like of the guilt of her and then that. But to me, like the, the whole movie to me is the baffling in the best way, final minutes of it. When you like have like this time cut and it feels like you've just left reality, but then maybe you haven't where the whole movie feels like it's building to that ending and you just didn't know it. I mean, Mm -hmm. maybe just from the title or maybe from whatever, but man, have you ever hated a character more than the guy who comes over drunk and while his wife is about to... Yes. Oh, he's the worst. Yeah. Sometimes movies create characters almost just so you can have that like bloodlust thing where you're like, okay, I hope someone kills this character because he's horrible. (laughs) Yes. And then at the end, we we think they might have. Yeah. And the fact that he doesn't show you that and just makes it implied and they just talk about him having an accident. With a gun. And you know, it's, you know, I'm, the ambiguity of this movie is so great because it's like, you could just, it has like a dreamlike quality, even though it also has like a stark realism to it. Yeah. But then, but then the final few minutes feel just so surrealistic. Um, it's very yeah. surreal. Yeah. It's like we're dealing with on one level, you can say coming of age for women, like is um, the sissy space character is like a little girl. And then Millie, well, they both have the same name, which is, really interesting i watched it in quick succession with daisies the vera chitalova movie from the 60s where uh it had two maries and so i i find it really interesting when they use the same first name like that because 
you are wondering, are we seeing this woman at three stages of her life? And then is she the mother later? Is she the grandmother character? We have a pregnant woman. It's a fascinating movie. And they're constantly shifting personas. It's great. Yeah. How little time we spend with the third woman is such an, yes. it's a wild fucking choice to have a movie called, so like, wait, so is she the third woman? And we're always so far away from her and we're spending way more time with her shitty husband. Yeah. Um, and it's such an interesting choice to the, like the title to me is, is what provides a lot of the sort of way that you kind of have to approach the movie is it's like, why the fuck is this the title? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Who are the three? Wait, is it three because one of them almost has like a split personality or is it three because she's the third one? These are like a very simplistic way to talk about a movie like this. Um, yeah. It's not like it's a mystery box movie or something, but it, a lot of it feels very purposeful while also keeping you at a distance, um, yep. which I really like. I, I would never say that my movie is as good as anything Altman has made, but it is an approach that I really enjoy taking myself, which is, you know, the thing about the movie is so deliberate that you have to think there's intention behind things. Cause if yeah. there's no way there can be intention behind so much of the movie that there isn't for the rest of it. And I was kind of hoping to convey the same approach with happily, which is like, cause I have answers for everything. They're just not, there and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that enough people will at least understand that instead of thinking it's just like laziness because there's <laughs> a way to do the kind of thing Altman is doing here that you could feel like sort of ripped off but then also that's m- probably more if you're someone who needs all movies to do the same thing like yeah this movie, that's true I mean, it's almost sort of outrageously uh singular in a way because it doesn't really seem to give a shit if you even like it or if you are on the same wavelength that has like there's like a really there's like a real confidence to this movie like Mm -hmm. it feels very it it just yeah yeah i just don't really know how to say besides that is it just it really does feel very confident and purposeful while also making it very hard for you to get inside the head of these two women. Um, yeah. But by the end of it, I feel like I really understand. Um, uh, I'm having a brain fart. Um, one of my favorite actors ever. Uh, uh, from The Shining. Shelley Duvall. Oh my gosh, Shelley Duvall. I love her so much. and I don't know why I couldn't think of her name. Oh, for you're second. fine. But Shelley Duvall. By the end of the movie, I feel like I really understand her. And by the end of the movie, I feel like I understand Sissy Spacek less, which is Yes, I think you're supposed to. Yeah. The more time goes by, the more she's harder to understand. The more time goes by with the other character, you're like, oh, I, I think I really get this person. Like, by the yep. end, you really feel like, okay, yeah, this is uh, a lonely person who push someone away in a time of trying to find some connection with that dude, uh, which is like pathetic, but very relatable. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when she like loses her, like all she wants to do is fix it. 
And the more she's trying to fix it, the more she starts actually paying attention to this other person, the more she starts to realize the other person is not what she thought. And Mm -hmm. that is such a great narrative device. Yeah. Like, like, what do you even compare this movie to? Like, you can't say, like, the other ones are, like, kind of, a little like, images is easy for me to distill. I can say it's, you know, it's that uh, you're in the headspace of a woman slowly losing her mind genre. It's that kind Mm -hmm. of, uh, is she insane or is she not? Like, that's a thing. Whereas Three Women is, like, uh, it's about two women and, and another one, and they work at this place, and then, but this one, sort of, like, it's sort of, yeah. It 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 is like kind of defies normal description. I think it does. Well, it came to him in a dream. He was yeah. like at yeah his wife's bedside. She was in the hospital, and he was worried she was dying. He had a dream. He jotted some notes. This is crazy to me. The story that he jotted him down and then fell asleep again, and the rest of it came to him. Like when does that happen? Usually, you have a dream and it's crazy. You wake up and then you don't dream about the same thing. So I thought that was really interesting. It is a dreamlike movie. It's also really kind of cool because he had this extensive career in television for so many years. And I think he got tired of the A plot, the B plot, you know, all the nuts and bolts of regular genre storytelling. Like uh, I watched the Altman documentary yesterday, which was really good. And when did that come out? I think 2014, I wanted to know more, but it's a good overview for sure. And he said, you know, at first it was really good. You learn what you're doing as a filmmaker, but then you start realizing when you get the scripts, like it's all the same thing. It's all the same fucking story. And so I think by the time he was at this point in his life, it was like, no, I am not going to do those plots anymore. And I'm going to take ideas like that and do my complete own thing. I think that's what he did. And it's funny that level of intention um, as a director can go very wrong because sometimes you can feel like someone's bored with movies and you don't feel that with him. Like he has, his thing is a little bit more, there's like a rebellious spirit to it as opposed to some people who are just like, I don't know, man, aren't most movies bullshit? Like we should make something that's not bullshit. And then it's boring. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. But with him, there's like this real, that you can feel an excitement about movies within his rebellious approach. Like this movie, like it's not, it's, it's like, it's very engaging because he feels excited about what he's doing. Yep. Um, which a lot of his stuff do it like, that's why, like, you know, I would say that like the longer, the long goodbye is my favorite detective movie ever. And it also, and, and even though he's not like, Oh, I really care about the mystery reveal. It just fucking works so well. It does. Because of the dynamic at the beginning of him and that guy, like it's a that pure Altman thing of like them when they're like, you feel like there's a history between him and his friend when they're like, talking and then him driving over the border and the hook of the ending of that movie, which I won't, I won't say that one because it's not on topic, but if you haven't seen that movie, it's a masterpiece and it has the most kind of engaged narratively ending. I think of any Altman movie where like that ending is as satisfying and cathartic as like the ending of any kind of mystery. narrative. Um, Mm -hmm. And usually doesn't give a shit. Like, 
it, it works to like a great comedic level in the player because there's a really droll approach to who's sending him the letters and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this movie is like the, the, th- the thing I can just say about three women is the more I talk about it, the more I'm like, I want to stop this podcast and just go watch it again. It's like, mm-hmm. you, because it's like once you really start to think about it and talk to someone about it, it just, it, the movie feels, I'm going to sound like an insane person, but the movie feels more like a memory that it feels like a movie I watched. It does feel almost like a dream you had. I can feel when that. You, when, yep. you're, when you're playing back the movie in your head, it has like a real, real vibe to it that is like very loose and kind of, I don't know. It just, it really does capture a dreamlike quality so well, I think. I do too. I think nothing intrigues Altman like human behavior and our relationships. Like who can we trust? What is trust? What is loyalty? What is it worth? And you see that in this, you just mentioned the long goodbye, which that's a huge element, loneliness, trust, and trying to fit in with society. You could almost, because I did watch the long goodbye in quick succession also with uh, three women. I think it was one of the movies I watched right after it. I thought he is just really riveted by this idea of feeling like an outsider looking in and trying to figure out how to form an attachment or a relationship with someone and putting just like in any romantic relationship, they always say like, there's one person who's more in love than the other person. Same with friendship. And you get that in these movies. Yeah. Nashville has one of the best examples ever when um, uh, Lily Tomlin, I think she goes to Keith Carradine's place. I'm like, in her life, this is, the biggest thing ever she's married and this rock star like calls uh, her yeah. and she goes over there and this is like the biggest destructive or not decision she's ever made and then as she's leaving he's already calling somebody else and yep. to realize the contrast of she's looking for this connection that is going to that to her feels like is going to make her life exciting and give it some forward momentum to this other guy is just this empty hour in the middle of yep. to him. He won't like, he will not remember that happened three days later. No, but not she, at all. the rest of her life is going to be like defined by that in a way. And then mm-hmm. she has to like carry it with her. And Almond is so good at like, like, you know, like when his, these big things, like if you're doing like shortcuts or whatever, you have these sort of feeling where like all these different people are bouncing off of each other in ways that to some of them in their own head, they're like the star of their own movie. And to other people, this is just a boring day, but yeah. to us seeing it in context of things, it's not, there's so many, he's just so good at capturing that part of the human experience. Um, I Very guess. true. Absolutely. Well, there are a lot of ways we could have gone with this. I really liked looking at these three. Are there any other films besides the ones we mentioned that you want to give a shout out to, whether they're personal favorites or just titles that are too often overlooked that you think people should check uh, I would out? Say, uh, I guess I'd say Perfect Blue. Um, and uh, if you're like, if you like um, movies that are from the point of view of a character with like a deteriorating uh, mental space or that just the question, is this person insane or not? Um, I think that's like as good as that movie gets. It has very similar vibes to Black Swan to a point where a lot of people think Black Swan was inspired by it. But um, Perfect Blue is about 
an actress who uh, is starting to sort of see things that clearly can't be real. Um, but then the question is, is they, are they, or are they not? And she has like a stalker coming after her. And I think it's the most effective movie ever made about getting you in the headspace of someone who is, their perception of reality is very fractured. I think it uses animation uh, is to like a thematic way that uh, almost nothing else has. I wasn't planning on talking about it, so that's not like super succinct, but I'd say if you love, if you liked images or movies like that and haven't seen Perfect Blue, I'd say definitely watch that movie. Okay, perfect. Well, I want to thank you so much for doing this. It was a lot of fun talking Altman with you and a blast because I've always enjoyed you on Twitter. So this was great. Thanks again. Well, you know, I'm glad that it wasn't too annoying and anyone who listened to this, uh, sorry that I rambled a lot. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. <laughs>